I know what you're thinking, punk. You're thinking, did he fire six shots or only five? Now, to tell you the truth, I forgot myself and all this excitement. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and will blow your head clean off, you could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Hey everybody, here we are again. It's uh, just one of your dads. It's me. It's uh, the co-host. It's uh, the real host. It's the only host today. Uh, but with me, I have an awesome guest. I have Jeff Nelligan. Uh, he's an author, he's a father, and he's an army veteran. So he's putting a check in nearly every box we have. And we are super thankful that he's taken the time to join us. He, uh, from, his bi- from his biography, appears to be a- an extremely busy man. So uh, with three sons and with the career, uh, you know, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, you know, give us a, a little bit about yourself uh, there, Jeff. Hey, sure, Corey. Hey, listen, first of all, thanks for having me on. And, you know, like it's a an honor, it's a privilege, and it's a fun and pleasure to talk to a vet. Um, and I have to say, you know, I was enlisted 14 years, Army Reserve and Army Guard, but I have three sons who are all military officers. So, the military strain is deep, deep, deep in the family. And I have to say that uh, just having kids like that makes me a better dad, even though they're, you know, in their mid twenties, just having that satisfaction that they're out there doing something for the nation. And sometimes it's not easy. So I really appreciate the chance to talk with you. It's for me, just uh, Jeff Nelligan, you know, spent a lot of years in politics I was lucky to grow up with a dad who was a veteran. Um, All my family were veterans from Vietnam, Korea, World War II. My grandfather was in World War I. So it runs pretty much in the family. And I think it's one of the the great strengths and a great foundation for the family among both the the sons and the daughters. Uh, I live in Washington, DC and work there. I work for the FDA. And uh, previous to that, I worked on Capitol Hill for many years. I worked in, two different administrations as a political appointee. And I've been in a lot of campaigns across the country, presidential, senatorial, house campaigns. And uh, now just with three sons gone, just revel in you know what fatherhood did for me and obviously what it did for them. Sounds good. Uh, it is, <laughs> uh, it's gotta put you on a, a different level uh, being the father of three, I, I used to joke, I suppose I still do, despite the, the the gap that if you have more than two kids that you must have a superpower uh, because you're, you're nearly a superhuman to be able to do that. And uh, it, not to uh, get too far off the path, but if, if you had a superpower and it does, I asked this once and he was like, my superpower is patience. And I was like, that's really thoughtful. You could have said flight. Uh, but with that being said, if you had a superpower, what would it be? But a superpower boy, I'll tell you, um, more hustle. You know, I think being a dad is, it's a hustle. You're hustling around, you're hustling for angles, you're hustling kids everywhere they have to be. Um, You're hustling for their opportunities and, you know, you're hustling to be good provider, good father, and also good, a role model. I think those are the, you know, that, being good at all those three and trying to get better at them all the time. I, that would be my superpower right there. It's a great question. Right on, I do appreciate it. I, I had a, uh, a previous dad give me the answer that uh, along similar lines, that his superpower was logistics. And yes. Uh, oh, that's great. Yeah. That, it made me think of that when you were talking. So I have been reading your book Four lessons from my three sons. And you, you mentioned very early on that you uh, don't pull any punches. You're, you're not uh, worried about, uh, you know, being very necessarily PC. You're not out there throwing around curse words or anything like that, but you know, you're straight to the, you're uh, straightforward and, and you get right to it. And I admit that there was a couple of times where I read something and I was like, no, 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 I'm done. And then I was like, but I'll read one more page. And then I read one more page and I was like, okay, okay. You know, I'll get, I'll keep going. I'll keep going. 
um, gosh. specifically like uh, I'm thinking of uh, when, when they were learning um, musical instruments Yeah, and you were yeah. like, and you're like, basically, I, I don't want to like try to uh, phrase it too, too specifically, but basically you were like, I, I you know, they didn't like it. And I kind of like, you know, convinced them to quit. And I was like, what? No, no, no. <laughs> and, and that's no. And then I, and I was like, and then I closed the book and, and I was like, no, see what he says about it. And then I opened the book and, and, it, you know, come to find out it's because you wanted them to redirect their efforts in something that they actually had, you know, a great love for a passion for, and, right. and, and to be honest, like a talent for. Yeah. So the, you know, that's just one instance uh, in the book where I was like, okay, this guy, you know, he, he like, he really <laughs> does not care if, if you know, your, your feelings get hurt uh, for the most part. Yeah. Um, so I just want to off the top, I just want to get that out there and, uh, and we will, you know, cover it, uh, as needed at the end where, uh, we get into more self-promotion, but of the four lessons that your sons taught you, what is the best lesson in your mind? Oh, the best one. And first of all, I appreciate the candor on you saying that you shut the book because I sounded like a knucklehead. And, um, I think a lot of people probably read through portions of that and have the same exact reaction. So I appreciate hearing it from somebody rather than someone not telling me. Um, not, I just do. Uh, resilience is number one. Resilience is the idea that you get knocked down, you hit an obstacle or a setback. And as a kid, you don't fold like a $3 suitcase. You don't curl up in a ball and start whining and you don't look for the parent to come enable you and get you over it without any effort on your part. Because <clears throat> I'll tell you, Corey, you know this as well as I do. Everyone, every dad listening to this knows this. No one gets a free ride in life. Everyone hits a wall and adults know it and kids know it. And once you hit one, there's plenty more ahead. And if you can get yourself up after the first and the second and the 10th and the 20th and the 100th, you're going to be in good shape when the 101st one comes around because you've done it enough times that you know that you have to drive on. You have to get around the obstacle or over it. You have to think. You have to plan. Old, old, when I was in infantry school at Fort Benning, old, old drill sergeant said, assess, adapt advance and that's exactly the way kids should approach life and their parents should be able their dads and moms should teach them that and it's the most valuable lesson they're ever going to have my uh one of my drill sergeants his big slogan was improvise adapt and overcome yeah yeah so similar Same. lines yeah yeah, I'm I'm older than you. It was a different line back then. <laughs> yeah, I was actually it was actually just today that I was researching army slogans. Uh, you know, because I was just like, get ahead on life in the army and all that. And it it turns out that prior to be all you can be, we we were really struggling for good slogans. Yeah, uh, that that was that one really like hit the nail right on the head and resonated. Uh, but before that, it was not great. No, that's a great one. Be all you can be. I mean, it, you know, and that appeals to the the kid, female or male, who has a who has a, a motor in them that they want yeah. to get farther, farther in their life. But yes, resilience is definitely the number, the number one trait. And it's so essential because I will tell you, my kids hit them just like any dad here has kids who hit them. And that confidence that they get by getting over the first one, it just it just magnifies itself throughout their life. Well, I'm glad that you touched on that. Uh, and maybe it's fate. I'm actually doing a, a short series of interviews with previous guests on how they themselves achieved or uh, built up mental toughness, quote unquote, and how they then pass that on or plan to pass that on to their kids. Because I'm at a, uh, it's been a rough year for me. And I'm, really? I'm at a point where I don't know. Yeah. I won't get into too many details. If if you've listened before, you 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 know you've heard me complain. I had a couple deaths, and uh, and, and now there's you know some more some more issues. But uh, with uh, we'll gloss over that. Fact remains, uh, it's been a tough year, and and I don't know yeah. if if my I don't know if I'm mentally tough or if I'm just mentally stubborn. 
And so mm -hmm. I wonder, could you tell us how, uh, if you have time, could you briefly tell us how you yourself gained mental toughness? And, and I, I have read a little bit and I could, you know, I could extrapolate uh, for myself how you've passed that on. But could you also, you know, for the listeners, tell us how you then, you know, uh, taught that to your sons? Sure. You know, um, everyone has these upsets in their life. It can be financial. It can be family. It can be friends. Um, you know, my mom and dad were pretty tough. And, and that's, you know, they, it's a great question. I'll tell you why, Cor, the way you framed it. Because we live in an age where people and kids particularly aren't tough. And they don't have that resilience. And I hear about kids who are, you know, 21 years old who are emerging adults and they're finding themselves. And the first job that they get, it, they need a work-life balance. Well, in the real world, you know, that's, that's just a fantasy. You know, I always go back. My dad, at the age of 15, worked in a vanadium mine a mile below the surface of the Sierra Nevada mountains at 15. At 18, he participated in the invasion of Okinawa. And at 19, he was patrolling the streets of Japan after the armistice was signed. So when people tell me today, you know, about their kids just not feeling right, or, you know, the test was too tough, or um, they, they need time to find themselves. I think, my gosh, you know, mental toughness probably came from my family. And of course I passed it along to my, my sons, as did their mom. But if you, if you live in an age of enablement, enabling, then no one's ever gonna develop that mental toughness if you're if you're that way at 21 by 30 you're doomed because the world is a really rough place so i guess that's a good example of you know how that where that mental toughness comes from maybe it's, it's both learned and i think it's probably inherited ge genetically uh that that makes perfect <laughs> sense to me because my my parents were uh, drug addicts and alcoholics that had zero mental toughness so that ties into why I would assume that I have none. Now, uh, moving on to the second part of the question, how do you, or did you uh, impart that onto your, you, you've spoken about, you know, not uh, making them feel entitled and, and making, making them essentially stand on their own two feet. How, uh, can you give a, a brief synopsis? You don't have to get too specific unless sure. you want to give examples, you know, of what you did to, to, you know, pass that on. Sure. I think, you know, in the book, I talk about it, too. But and, you know, in, in the military life, it's happening all the time. But in order to build that resilience, you have to build that confidence. So when they were very, very young, I made them do things themselves. I, I The first test came when the, the eldest was seven and the youngest was four. And we were in a big shopping mall and right in the center of it, an indoor mall. And I gave each kid a $5 bill and I said, go get change. This is not a race. You know, take your time. I'll be right here. But don't come back unless you have change for that $5 bill. And of course, you know, this was a, this was a task. This was a responsibility. And so they, they went off and did it. One kid struck out and another kid came back with 20 quarters in his pocket. But it was the beginning of giving them that responsibility to, to go out in a new environment with strangers and perform a task. And of course the, the tasks got tougher. I would send them into a kind of a sketchy 7-Eleven with a $20 bill and say, we need these five things. You know, I need Gatorades and Doritos and donuts. When you get them and come back to the car. And you know, they had to do it. And they actually, they got a, a kind of a kick out of it. And then we pull up in a, you know, in a bank parking lot and I said, go get dad 300 bucks from the ATM machine. Here's my password. And then we're in an airport and I say, here's all the materials, go get us the boarding passes. So it, 
you elevated the idea that they had to go out in the real world and perform these tasks and they're gaining confidence. And, you know, so at, at age eight, a kid can, you know, put air in the tires of a car because he's done it three times and now he's got to do it again. At age seven, he mows the lawn with, you know, a power mower, you know, to, today I'd, I'd be probably sent to prison for something like that. But at seven, that's what they did. So that, that's how you build that, that mental toughness. And it's for you, it's probably both a mixture of toughness and stubbornness, which, you know, kind of sometimes come right together. So with these guys, it definitely was that mental toughness built up over years and years with these tasks. Uh, it uh, that's I appreciate given those explicit examples. Uh, those were things that I had read about and I knew that you could touch on those if you wanted, but I didn't want to put words into your mouth. It's sure. really, it really did speak to me. You're reading that uh, because like you said, they're very simple things, but it, golly, I cannot put an age to it, but the simple act of going into a store and asking for change, that was something I had trouble with got it into my twenties, probably just from social anxiety and, you know, not being yeah. like pushed like that. Yeah. Um, so, and, and once again, you know, I, uh, I, I put that down to, uh, my parents and, um, not to denigrate my father who he, he did die this year, but I'm not, you know, I've said it again and again, he was a terrible father. Uh, he, he did me no favors other than when I'm posed with a quarry uh, of what to do, and in my parenting life, I always think of what he would do. And then I do the opposite. And typically uh -huh, that that's nice. Me, that usually leads me in the right direction. Yeah. But I like it along those lines though. Uh, and this is, uh, this is really just a, really just a cry into the darkness for you. I would think, because the people that we're talking to here are the least likely people to pay attention to what you're about to say. But uh, I'm interested in your opinion on, dads that currently are not like like i read your book and you're clearly you know uh it, it's not parenting's not easy but no. it, you had uh, a bit of a uh, an advantage based on your your mental strength the things that we've already touched on your dis your self-discipline what would you say to dads that are lacking in that self-discipline needed to you know control is a bad word but to to guide their kids the right way like how can they improve on that Sure. Um, and it, wow, that's a powerful question. And I've never been asked it. And I've done done many, many dozens and dozens and hundreds of interviews like this. Uh, I'm 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 a simple guy. You know, I start with the, the most basic. I mean, the first thing is. And and again, this is not this is not politically correct. I would urge that father to take whatever device the kid has in his hand and not yank it out of their hands, but say, we're gonna put, we're gonna put real, real parameters on how often you can use this. Because a kid using a device and the average is about nine hours a day on a, on a cell phone or a, um, a iPad. That's the biggest threat I see to fatherhood today is kids passively spending nine hours, eight hours, it's eight hours and 49 minutes, nine hours almost, passively looking at a screen with something that's doing all the thinking for them that takes them away not only from their real life and their friends, but also from their parents. So it's, it's setting up that almost that's, you know, social media contract, which I write about in another book, which I think is an excellent idea. And so you're, you're divorcing the kid from a great amount of time that he or she is spending on the electronics and then it's starting with the most simplest things i used to take each kid on a saturday to the most peaceful place on the planet which is the, was the high school bleachers at our local high school at nine o'clock or eight o'clock in the morning with a bag of donuts and say hey we're just going to sit here and talk for an hour and we're going to have these donuts and I want to, your brother's coming up next Saturday and then your other brother the next Saturday. And this routine is going to last as long as I want it to. And in fact, it still happens. It still happens that I had a kid come back from a, a tour of duty um, on an aircraft carrier. They went all the way to India and all the way back to San Diego. 
10 month deployment. And when he came back, we went to those same bleachers we went to when he was five years old. So the basics, cut the kid's screen time to spend more time with him. At the same time, set up these regularly scheduled moments where you just sit there with no distraction whatsoever, no devices, no people around, and just talk to the kid. And the kid, the, the dad's responsibility is going to be, you know, even maybe even write out questions, but just to get the kid talking. So those those parents that maybe are not as, you know, forceful or brash. And, you know, I spent a lot, I spent a lifetime in politics, so I've got a pretty good self-confidence. You know, I'm pretty much an egotist. But for those, but those parents or dads that are a little bit more shy or a little bit more uncertain, start with those two basic things, you know, a real cut back on the screen time and at the same time, more engagement, involvement with the kid. Um, and, you know, not every kid's going to be an athlete. Not every kid's going to be a great, you know, clarinet player or work in a theater. You know, there's plenty of kids who are good at working on cars or they're fine, you know, playing the clarinet or doing something like that. But directing a kid towards an interest where he can, he's going to be better and where he's around a lot of kids. That's why I love that example you use about me, Cannon, the, the, the trumpet, and the trombone playing. When they started doing it, I said, this is leading nowhere. They're sitting in their rooms practicing alone, you know, and they're never going to be great. I already know that. So I'm going to tell them, why, you know, that was really fun for the three months. I'm really proud of you. You know, put those instruments away. I never want to see them again. <laughs> but that basic, the basic two points with a dad that, you know, is kind of uncertain or whatever. That's, those are great two places to start. That's that's those are really good examples, really good suggestions. I would think that even a dad that you know, doesn't have you know the the self discipline that you that you I assume have you know those are things that he could still do. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. It's not it's not hard for a dad to to put limits on social media. It, it's almost incumbent on a dad to put limits on social media. Uh, and, and the idea of uh, or you know the um, what you do. For, I can't think of the term for, it, but but what you did with and still do with your sons, where you would go out every Saturday like that and just spend you know time with them, uh, not really forcing the, the, them to talk, but just communicating with them, right? Uh, you know, that's like uh, just uh, I don't know. You know, I'm definitely going to have to do that myself. That's not even something. There's there's always something that a dad in during these interviews will say that just comes across like just the most common thing in the world. But I'm like, man, I never would have thought to do that. Like that's that makes so much sense just once a week, you know, just you've got to do this, you know, uh, you know, if it rains, we'll do whatever this instead, but you know, we talk, we find out what's going on, you know, we, right. we reconnect. Um, that's and, just a great know, thing. And that's what I said about even having a list of questions. I mean, I literally would have in my mind a list of questions, you know, who's your favorite kid at school? Who's your favorite teacher? You know, what adult in the neighborhood do you, do you admire the most? And don't say it's me. Uh, you know, what's, What's your favorite car? Where, where do we get the best hamburger when we go out? You know, um, what movie did you see or book did you read, you know, lately? How's school? Do you really like math? You know, I hated English, but I love physics, you know, that kind of stuff. Once you get the kid talking, they won't stop. It's just, that's just the way it is with kids. And, um, and it's, I guess the third thing, you know, I would suggest too is, Make a time every evening where the dad and the kid just walk around the damn block. You know, and maybe if you got a couple kids in the family, you do it with all of them or you do it with one of them. But that one time after dinner, you say, put down the homework, Johnny. We're going to go for 20 minutes and just walk around the block. We're going to go outside the house and everyone lives in a block, even if it's an apartment or a home or wherever. And you just say, hey, we're going to spend 20 minutes. We're just going to shoot the breeze. So it's on a daily basis at that point. So the kid knows that, hey, it's 720 and we're going to be out until 740. And kid, the thing is, and, you know, we know this from our military days, routine. You I was know, just going to say that. I was just going to say that. Always the routine. So the kid knows there's a certain part of this day that I'm going to be spending with the old man. And that's the way it's going to be. 
I don't care if it's snowing outside or raining or if it's beautifully sunny in the summer. I've got this routine with the old man and we're going to do it. Yeah, the routine is super important. I had yeah. a, a serious lack of that growing up and I can point out the issues that it's caused. So definitely increasing that and, you know, building on that and, and right. tying that into, you know, uh, more growth and communication with your children that that's a win-win all the way around. So yeah, yeah a, another great one. Another, another really good suggestion. Um, I, I did uh, want to point this out. It's not necessarily tied into what we've been uh, speaking on, but it's something that really spoke out uh, to me when I read it. And, and, and once again, I'm going to paraphrase, but there sure. was at least a point in time where you, uh, you went to your sons and you were like, here's $5. And, and I may be off on the, on the number, but basically here's $5. If you can come back with something positive that you've seen in the world where, you know, uh, and, and I'm, I might be conflating this with something else, but it, uh, essentially you were like training them to go out and find like a funny joke or, right. or something that was just, you know, uplifting uh, as opposed to going out and, and focusing on the negatives. And that really right. did speak to me. You know, it was, it, it became, and we still, and some of the gags that they, they yanked out of places we went or where we were, some of the gags we're still using. Um, I made a point of saying that, you know, a kid once came back, he was five years old at the time, and I'd sent him into the market and I said, we need salami and go to the butcher counter, you know, the meats counter and get me a half a pound of salami. And, you know, now most kids at five, I mean, most parents are not going to do that. I did. I'm not afraid of the world. The minute you're afraid of the world, you're, you're crazy. So, he came back and he had this funny story about some lady cutting him off in line and then getting in an argument with the butcher. And so I, he comes back to the, the checkout counter at the giant in our Safeway. And I said, what, what took you so long, brother? And he goes, they had the funniest thing happen. And he told the story and he told it almost verbatim, mimicking the butcher and the old lady and everything. And I said, man, that's great. And I just turned to the other two guys. and I said, look, that, that's a slice of life. That's beautiful. I said, I'll give you a dollar every time you come back to me with a funny story for me and your brothers, you know? And so they were constantly looking for these damn funny stories. And, you know, a, a guy sees one, one of my sons saw this guy, this woman back into this guy's car in a parking lot at, at, a, at a, a youth football game that one of them, one of my other kids was in and put a massive dent in it. And the guy walks up whose car got hit, walks up right on it and looks at it and looks at her and there's debris on the ground. And the lady says that dent was always, always there, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, he comes back and tells me, you know, pay the man, baby, there's a dollar. And uh, so there was always these funny little things that would happen and they'd come back and, you know, it wasn't a home run every time, but they were always looking for a gag. And it just made them kind of upbeat, positive kids, you know, just always, hey, man, there's an angle here. I can get to the old man and, you know, and my brothers will like it, too. So, yeah, it was, again, building that positive kid rather than that kid who's, you know, his face is buried in a damn cell phone and, you know, can barely mumble a hello to a, another adult or a kid. Yeah, that, that really did. Uh, speak to me is something that I, an, another thing that I want to pick up when my son's old enough and that hopefully someone listening to this, you know, that, that spoke to them too, because I, I really do feel like there's so many things that, that I read about your book where I was like, fuck, you know, like, why did my parents <laughs> yeah. do anything like that with me? <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, like if I had not had a grandmother and uh, a grandmother <clears throat> and her ex-husband, not even her husband, but her ex-husband, if I hadn't had them, I, I basically wouldn't have had parents at all. And I, I like I signed up for the army at uh, at 17. And Whoa. actually, I signed up at 16. And I went to basic training at 17. I, I turned 18 waiting for it to start. Uh, I just could not wait to get away. I knew that that was, you know, I was just going down further and further if I stayed there. I barely even graduated high school. Uh, I'm still in high school when I signed up. But I, I just knew that there was nothing for me. And that I, I wanted to do everything I could to be a, you know, as far from that as I could. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just like, I'm so jealous of your sons because you are, uh, you, I, I'm not going to um, 
I'm not going to call you, you know, like the epitome of dad. I'm not going to put that on you as, you know, that, that kind of stress, but you are, you, you are a really good dad. Uh, still are from what little I've, I've, I've heard and spoke to you. And you know, really I'll does tell you, me. I will tell you, Corey, I appreciate that so much, but I'll tell you their mom, my ex deserves 90% of the credit. I get 10% because I was a nag, but I had a strategy from the day. And maybe this is what dad should do too, that are maybe not as you know brash as me. I had a strategy from the when they were very, very young, that this is the kind of person I wanted them to be. And, you know, it kind of dovetails into the men they are today in terms of being in the service. You know, I wanted them steadfast and and cheerful and tough and rugged and alert, all these things. And it's funny that they all three end up where they are. But, you know, I give a, a lot of credit to her, but it's also the idea that every kid I don't care. Every dad listening, your kid has, you know, is good at really one can be is good at one thing. There may be just average at other things, but there's one thing that they're really good at. And it's your responsibility as a dad to find out what that one thing is. And on the way to finding it, you can it's easy to make them an upbeat, positive person. It just is. And I'll tell you something else, too, Corey. Every time when I was wrong, I admitted it. You know, when there was some heavy duty stuff with my job, when I got fired from two jobs because we I was on a campaign and we lost, I was up front. Dad, the old man lost his job. He's going to be fine. Don't worry. Or passing all these office buildings around the D.C. area, you know, all these faceless monsters, you know, with steel and glass. And, and that's where I work now before I after I was in politics, we'd drive by them and I'd say, guys, these buildings are full of men who have a picture of their family on the wall and a coffee mug like you made me in second grade and a computer screen in front of you of them. And they're all thinking, what the hell am I doing here? I was going to be somebody. And here I am as an office drone. And I said, you don't want to be that guy because that's your dad. And you've got to get farther than your dad did. And so when you're that honest with them, they're going to listen to everything else. Honesty is huge. Uh, I just uh, uploaded a reel the other day of a dad saying that some of his most important advice was if you ever mess up to apologize because it shows yeah. them that that's you know what adults uh, do is, is apologize when they make mistakes. Right. Uh, tied into that. Um, I want to get into the army a little bit, but but real quickly tied into that, one of my co-hosts does typically ask, uh, and he has a really roundabout way of saying it, but what is your best advice for dads? You give all kinds of advice. You've given all kinds of advice, not, and maybe your best advice is something you said before, but just to make it explicit, just to get it out there and maybe to post it in a reel, what would yeah. you say is, is your best dad advice for, uh, we'll say, a new father? We kind of touched on it earlier when, we, when you asked me another question. You have to have a strategy for your kid. When you held that kid in your in your arms and he or she is, you know, two hours old, that's when you start thinking, what do I want this kid to be? And then you have plenty of time to think out that strategy. And the strategy is I want him to be with good character and good conduct and courteous. And alert and positive and strong, you know, and that's the, the piece of advice. And it, it comes down to literally, Corey, you, you've got a dad and they've got a kid and he's two, let's say he's two years old, or let's say he's four years old. And he sits down with a pad of paper and a pencil and he says, okay, what's this kid going to be doing at age five? What's this kid going to be doing at age six, seven? What things am I going to push him into that I think that he's built for, even at the age of four, that I think he can be really good at or really like. If you have a strategy, you can build the kids you want. And that parents don't do that. They let the culture raise their kid. They let the screen, they let people at their school, their peers, no, 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 no. You raise the kid the way you want to. And if that kid, if the parent has a strategy, the dad has a strategy, 
That's the first step. It's the only step. Uh, and just uh, an addendum on that. You mentioned the age of four. Do you think that's a good age to kind of start in on this or, or it, was that just, did you just pick that one at random? I picked that one at random, but I, maybe there was an ulterior motive in it because at age four, I got them involved in sports. First they played soccer because every kid plays soccer. It's really easy. And, um, and it's, you're around other kids, you're around other parents, you're on a team, you have that camaraderie. Soccer will take you places. But then the next thing we did was lacrosse. Now lacrosse is a pretty tough sport to learn for a kid, you know, picking up a ball, hand, hand eye coordination, the endurance to run, you take some hits in lacrosse, but I pushed him towards those, the sports angle, basketball, obviously in the driveway, because what sports does is, you know, it's, it, it's exactly like the military almost. You have to practice, that is exercise personal discipline to get better. And dad can be there every minute of the day practicing with you when you need to. You have the camaraderie of a team. All these guys around you, even if they're four or five years old, who all wanna win. And so there's that goal. And the third thing is there's a ton of adversity because when the clock is zero, zero, someone's won and someone's lost. You know, it's great. It's a great teaching thing. If you lose the game, you better feel bad and you want to win the next one. So those three qualities, which is just like much like the service. They, I did it early, but not every kid's going to be an athlete, you know, but any kid at four can start in athletics and, most kids can get, you know, relatively good. If athletics isn't, then you say, okay, is this kid going to be a musician? Is this kid like cars? Is this kid good, you know, working in a theater? Does he like robotics? You know, and you, you're the dad. It's easy for you to find out. You're there all the time with him. You know what he's good at, you know? And so, when I said four, I just kind of maybe thought back in my own mind to when I first put them in sports and they played a range of sports and, you know, they got better and better. And it helps to have three boys because they were so competitive with one another. I have a kid, my youngest kid plays professional rugby for the, in the United States for the DC team. And he's been with the US, US team in Uruguay and Holland and Chile and all this. But the reason he got good at rugby was because he was banged around a lot playing football with his older brothers. And he just became very, very tough. And that toughness just kept through through his entire, you know, childhood, teens, adolescence, all the way through college. And at West Point, he walked on the team, the rugby team. He'd never played the game before as a freshman. His senior year, he's a first team All-American. He had that drive and that discipline and that adversity and that camaraderie to get better and better at the sport. Now, not everyone is going to be like that. You know, um, my other two sons weren't were good enough, but not that good. But I use four because I think that's when you really start getting involved with kids, you know, outdoors in a major way. Um, yeah, that does make sense. I was just recently trying to think of uh, when I wanted to get my son started and, you know, more physical activities. I've read and been told that it it's almost necessary to get them in something physical to, to you know, kind of work out that energy that yeah. kids naturally have. Uh, we will, gosh, I don't want to uh, take too much time before we shift to, to promoting everything you've got going on, but I did want to, to get into one thing at least about the, uh, the army, because you, you did mention the service there br very briefly. And, I just wanted to know how you think uh, the, uh, I don't know how to phrase it best, but uh, so I'll probably do it the wrong way, but well, first and foremost, when you were in the army, ha had you had your children yet? Yes. By the time I, I got out of the service, I was 88 to 2000, 2002. I had all three kids at that point. Yeah. Okay. So th it does follow that this will uh, apply to you. How would you say that the army most shaped you as a father? What did you gain from it that you did not have prior to going in or that, you know, was a weakness of yours? 
I think the as much as I thought I was disciplined, I think the army gave me more discipline. It what it did is it took it made me more conscious of the team effort because I was in a, a platoon of guys and a company of guys and a battalion of guys and women. And uh, what it did was it just made me, even at that age, it made me think more and more of the team kind of approach to things. And I, you know, I was kind of an individual all the time and, you know, kind of a selfish, I'll say it. I was selfish. And being in those kind of groups made me think, wait a minute, you know, this is, it's not about you, man. You know, all these people, they're just as good at you as you at these things that we're doing. And I was in a MI battalion too. And I thought that, that really, it had a profound effect and it helped in being with the kids because I always emphasized with them, with them, you know, you're on this team, you got to root for everybody. Even if you're fanny sitting on the bench, game after game and you're not getting any playing time you got to root for every guy on that field including the guy who's taking your place it's just going to make you a better person and and they got it you know they became the team guys and that's just that's one of the reasons that they're probably in the service now because they were around that certain cut of person which the service always brings together who have that personal discipline who can get through adversity um, who, you know, loves being part of a team doing something. And uh, so I think that rubbed off on them. Definitely. Right on. It made me think, uh, even if you're on the bench, you still got to do your part to, uh, to get the yeah. ball to Louie. Get the, yeah, man, get the ball to Louie. Exactly. That's one of the phrases. <laughs> yeah. You can yeah, still you do know, your so, part. Right. Your self-awareness. I am sitting on the bench. What I've got to be aware. What do I need to be doing? I need to be rooting for everybody else. Even if they, even if the guy that's, you know, taking my position is going to, is doing really well and is going to be taking that position for the rest of the season. You've got to be for that guy. You know, it just makes yeah, you a better sure. human being. Yeah. Better, better human, better teammate, better everything. Yeah. Uh, so before we shift in here to the last part of the episode, I did want to uh, come with kind of a, a sillier question. And sure. I've heard this asked a couple of ways, um, but never the way I'm about to ask it. So I'm not saying I'm the first, but at least it's interesting. So uh, typically people ask if you were, if there was a movie about your life, who would betray you? But what I want to know is uh, if there's a movie made about your life, who would you be in that movie? And you can't be yourself. Oh, easy. I'd be one of my sons. <laughs> okay that's kind of cool that's kind of cool i'd want to be one of my sons because i would have wanted to see what their reaction is to the old man i mean they're 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 old enough now that we can joke about how they that were raised and you know before i published that book and the first edition was on national public radio so it went crazy um, and part of the reason it went crazy is because of sections just like the ones you close the, the pages on, you know, hard stuff. There's no equivocation in that book. I mean, and if dads read it, they're going to go, wait a minute. So the, particularly that last chapter, you know, it, this is rough, but I'm not engaged in morality plays with my sons or nuances or being politically correct or, or you know, worrying about what other people saying, these are my sons and I'm going to do what I need to do with them. And um, so I would love to see the perspective of my son being a son with this, with dad sitting there saying all these wacky things and doing all these crazy things to see what I would feel like, you know, right on. I don't know if that's a good, <clears throat> I have to say these questions you've asked, I've never, most of them I've never been asked before. So this is great. Uh, well, I actually do spend a little bit of time trying to, uh, to come up with interesting things to say. I used to really be very blase, very plain, ask questions about the, the geography of your location, things that were interesting to me, but that weren't going to make good listening for a podcast. Uh, one thing, uh, one, one more thing, your sons are, you know, maybe it's just the way you portrayed them, but they all three come across as very intelligent men. Do you think that and I, I mean, this might not be politically correct, but if you think that they weren't sure. as intelligent growing up, 
that your uh, your tactics would have still applied and and worked as well as they did, or uh, do you think that you might have had to uh, you know adapt or, or modify a little bit? No question. If they'd been less intelligent, I wouldn't have modified a thing. And see here here thing here we go to another you know un unpolitically correct thing. I tell you, Corey, I hear from so many people, so many parents, sincere and earnest, good good dads and moms. My kid is so smart. And, you know, I, I live in Washington, D.C., okay? There's a lot of smart people here, okay? And I worked on the Hill where there's a really a lot of smart people. And smart is overrated. I will tell you that. When people tell me their kids are smart, and I hear it from so many, and I know why they're saying this, you know, they're proud. But, you know, they're talking about kids who can't turn a light on in a room. They're talking about kids who can't follow through on anything. They don't have the personal self-discipline to actually complete something. I don't care how smart a kid is. I want to see him complete the task, whatever's in front of him, even if it's a C effort, okay? Smart in this world doesn't, you know, this is a very smart country. This isn't somewhere else where I, and I could name a thousand, a hundred countries. The, the biggest thing with a kid is not how smart they are, but they follow through something all the way to the end. And that's what we lose. You know, that's, that's the most important thing in a kid. So yeah, I don't, you know, however smart my guys are, there are plenty of kids smarter than my kids. I will tell you that they went to schools where a lot of, there were some pretty high end kids and everything else. My kids got through school fine. You know, two of them went to academies. And, um, but I just want to see that kid who can just follow through right to the end. That's the kid I want. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I always get it wrong. So I'm not going to try to quote it, but it's like Rocky said, you know, you know life's going to knock you down and it's going to keep you there if it can. And it, the person that's able to get up and keep going, you know, you may be a genius, but if you can't right. get up, off the ground and keep marching, then you're just not going to succeed. Right. So exactly. It's really the ones that are able to finish that are the ones that are going to get ahead in life. Yeah. And I tell you, my kids have been around kids much smarter than them. And, you know, I, they haven't amounted to much. And yeah. There's a million uh, smart drug addicts. Yeah. Right. And at a certain point, if, you know, there's a certain point in age, and I see it all the time where I live. If you haven't done, you know, if you haven't completed something by a certain time, you're, you're doomed because you're going to, that, that habit is going to dog you for the rest of your life, you know? And see, that's the thing about the service too. You have to follow through. Otherwise that E5 is on your ass and there's, there's no alternative. You finish the job. So I, yeah. Again, the whole intelligence thing, I'm always, you know, suspect about. I just like the kid who can just get the, get it done, you know. That's cool. More more really, really deep wisdom, which I did not expect that to head into. So I do appreciate that. Something more for you the bet. listeners. Uh, but that does bring us here to the second part, uh, for the most part, the last uh, half of the or last quarter of the podcast. And that is where I give the listener the time to promote whatever it is you might have going on. I know that we've done a little bit of talking about your book, but it may be that you, there's some more angles to that you want to talk about. Might have something else you got going on that you want to promote. So just go ahead and take this time to uh, share that with uh, our listeners and, and get whatever that you might have out there. Sure. Um, you know, the book that Corey's talking about is the second edition of Four Lessons from My Three Sons. It came out last fall and uh, it's on Amazon. It's called Four Lessons from My Three Sons, How You Can Raise a Resilient Kid. And my website has all these articles about much of which Corey and I have talked about here, www.nelliganbooks.com. It also contains a book called uh, that I wrote a year ago called Your Kids Rebound from Pandemic Lockdowns, A Parent Guide to Restoring Their Families. The, the COVID pandemic was handled in every which way that was wrong and not one way that was right. 
And the most damaging part of it was the keeping kids out of school and in lockdown where they got some bad habits going. First of which was just total addiction to social media. Um, the, the rise in the usage of it on a daily basis was accelerating by 2020. It just went through the roof. The second part is it destroyed a lot of kids' confidences. That's why you've got, you know, so many kids, at least well, 48% of all kids under the 18 have had a major depressive episode in the last year. The third part is just the physical nature of kids. 22% of kids under the age of 18 are either overweight or obese. That's one fifth of all kids under 18 are overweight or obese. That's ridiculous. I mean, come on, we, you know, this country can do better than that. So that book describes how those, those damaging effects can be reversed. And much of the, the, the advice in there, parenting advice, is similar to what's in Four Lessons from My Three Sons. As well, the pandemic book, Rebound, has 240 sites to medical, psychological, and health literature about how you can help turn your kid around from that dismal, dismal two and a half years. Other than that, you know, I mean, I have an Instagram account, Nelligan underscore books. I have a Twitter account at Resilient Sons. And of course, my Facebook page is Jeff Nelligan Books. And I'm on LinkedIn. It's just Jeff Nelligan. Um, and I have to say, you know, the questions Corey has asked have been really, I mean, half of them I say I haven't even answered before. And I've done these things numerous, numerous times. Uh, but it goes back to almost his first question. You know, what do you say to a dad in raising a kid? A strategy, sitting down, writing it down, watching your kid, knowing your kid really well. I'm, I'm of the mind, again, we're going to be non-unpolitically non, correct here. Your job as a dad is not to make your kid like you. Your job as a dad is to prepare your kid for the real world out there, right outside your front door every day. So in preparing that your kid for that world, that's where the strategy comes in. And if you've got that strategy, you're way ahead of the game already. I'm actually really glad you mentioned the part about, uh, you know, being their friend, because I was going to bring that up myself, but I didn't want to take too much more time. Um, just uh, briefly before we end here, this is just a personal curiosity of my own. I'm an English sure. major and I, I don't ever write with the intent of publishing, but I write for fun. And I was just curious as an author yourself, if you were going to write in a genre, uh, fiction, we'll say, uh, what would you most likely write in? Would it be fantasy? Uh, would you write detective novels? Where would you be most likely to you know, place your interests? Um, in history, maybe write historical fiction. You know, um, again, I told you I come from a long line in the military and my sons continue it. And I think the profession of arms, soldiers and sailors, airmen, Marines, there are countless stories to be told about them, both male and female, that are inspiring and full of joy, full of heartache for sure but that just show you know what what a human being can accomplish and put up with and you know drive through and i think if i was going to do something like that i i don't think i'd be very good at it uh that's what i'd like to write about because i remain enamored of of any veteran uh, i met a i met one of my bosses today a deputy commissioner at fda I was talking to her and I had a ring on. It's a West Point national championship ring and it has the West Point crest on it. She says, she pointed to it. We were at this big function, a holiday party. And she says, oh, were you in the army? And I said, yeah, I was just a reservist, you know, and, uh, but my sons are, my, one of my sons is a, a, a army officer went to West Point. And that's where this ring's from. And she says, oh, I said, and she said, oh, my, my, my husband was in the service. And now, this woman is a presidential appointee. She is a big deal in D.C. And she just came up to me in the, in the midst of all this stuff to ask about the ring. Her husband, I said, well, your husband was in the service. I said, tell me. She, I said, 
And she says, yeah, he was, uh, we were stationed at Fort Campbell. And I said, 101st? And she goes, yes. And, I, and she says he was an E5, uh, two tours of Iraq. And I'm just thinking, you know, I said to her, what your husband accomplished is bigger than what you'll any, ever accomplish in this whole town. And I said, you know, I respect the hell out of you. But you are married to a man who did two tours of Iraq with 101st Airborne Division. I said, do you realize what privilege you have every night when you go home and see him? And she understood, but no one listening to us even got it, you know, but I did. And she was just thrilled because here was so finally someone who, who could look at her husband and just say, this man, this is a stud. This is a guy who's seen more in his life than all the years of everyone in that room put together combined. So that's why I go back to the, when you asked the question, about what I would write. I'd write about guys like that and guys like you, you know, all these enlisted guys out there who really, you know, do something every day that people in the re in the civilian world can't even comprehend. Some of them can't even comprehend going to work every day. Yeah, yeah, so, there you go. Um, before I forget though, if you do enjoy reading historical fiction, there's a military series and uh, the name of the author escapes me, but it's based in the Napoleonic Wars. It's about an English uh, soldier that works his way up the ranks. It's uh, his last name is Sharp. It's the, the series is called the Sharp Books. It's like Sharp's Regiment, Sharp's Rifle, Sharp's This and That and the Other. They're all wow. very good. Um, but, they, you know, it kind of falls in line with some of the things that you were mentioning. So if, if you're interested, that's something you could look into. Sure. Um, before we go here, uh, typically one of my other co-hosts will give a dad joke. And I'm not uh, I'm not really looking to tell a dad joke to send us home on, but I do have a, a reasonably funny joke that uh, that I'd like to share. I do like to always, you know, we didn't really get too uh, negative or too dark this time around. We kept things pretty upbeat, but from oh, yeah. time to time, thing, you know, we do dip our toes into some darkness sometimes. So you know, when that happens, we like to keep the habit of or the routine of our of our jokes at the end. So uh, this one's actually got a title, and it's called Holy Cow. So a pair of cows were talking in the field. One says, have you heard about the mad cow disease that's going around? Yes, the other cow says, makes me glad I'm a penguin. <laughs> and uh, that's actually that's pretty funny. I mean, I thought it was, a, too, to be honest, you know, I, a, I, I, I chuckled. So I was like, I'll just share that. Transcends dad joke. I mean, I guess that's actually yeah. funny. Good that's got a foot in, in, in both realms there. Yeah. So yeah. Hopefully somebody gets a chuckle out of that. But uh, with that being said, uh, Mr. Nelligan, I do appreciate you, sir. You've uh, shared so much of your life, so much of your wisdom. You've, you know, you've continued the trend of teaching me and, and hopefully making me a better dad after each and every interview. How old if are I your take, kids? He just turned two in uh, July. So this is his yeah. first real Christmas where he understands even what's going on. Hey, man, there's that strategy right there. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. Like when you were like sat down with pen and paper, I was like, why not? Like I, I've actually thought about that and put it off because I just, I simply did not know. But when you were listing, you know, very basic, but necessary qualities, like being strong, being honest, like those are things that are just, you know, a no brainer. So if nothing else, yeah. I can, I can start a list with things like that. And, you know, you one know, thing I, one thing my kids did, in fact, I told you at the beginning, I was talking to my guy, my middle kid who just got back from Pearl was deployed out all the way to the international dateline and back and all Guam came back to Cincy. He's a recruiter there, but we were talking on the phone. He was, a, he, he's an avid reader and he was an avid reader because, and this is something you can take with for a two-year-old. We had no screens in our house. We didn't even have a TV. So these kids never got, you know, dvds you know of they never saw cartoons they had books and we bought them hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books and we started with a series called the magic treehouse and then the berenstein bears but from the earliest ages i just read to them because we never had a screen to turn on and at two we would read to them we would just show them the 
two-year-old books and there are such things believe it or not you know they're oh, yeah. just big yeah and we would just go through them again and again and again and then we buy another dozen and we'd go through those and then we'd had two kids sitting on our laps and a little baby and then finally at one point you know at five the eldest is five we have three kids sitting in our laps and we're just looking at books and we just keep buying books and they became avid readers and they still are now you know again they didn't have any screens they didn't get a cell phone until they were in 11th grade at the end of 11th grade but just the the magic of those books made them sharper and more alert made you know it wasn't passive they really had to think as you so maybe i should add that as an addendum to kid to dads who have these young kids like you that you just you don't even have there's no screens the kid never knows the screen all he knows is books and that kid will get real sharp, real fast. That's actually really interesting. It, um, yeah, you know, I read to my, my son, we actually joined this, uh, shout out to Dolly Parton. She's got this program where she sends a, uh, children's book to you, uh, one a month. Oh, or, great. Know, like, what, I don't know what the age is, but it's, it's obviously for young readers because it's you yeah. know, very basic. So we, you know, we read him those, we, get another book every time we go to target we yeah. are uh you know yeah. we see we, we already see and i have zero to oh uh, before i forget this does uh kind of tie in a little bit did you plan for three or was that just something that happened one and three um, um you know we had the first one and immediately afterward had the second one because it was our belief that they needed companionship and we, it, you know, obviously the providence of God almighty that they were both boys, you know, and really tight, 14 months apart. And then the third one came along after we tried more and more. Third one came along and he was three years younger than the eldest. So it was perfect. We had this little trio and, you know, the companionship thing was always there with them. Um, and, so, and thus the if the eldest one read, they all read. If the elder one was out there with a lacrosse stick, they were all out there. Or they were in the driveway trying to shoot baskets on a 10-foot hoop, which didn't work at that age. <laughs> but they were always together. And that companionship and that tightness lasts to today. You know, I mean, that's the tightest bunch of kids I've ever, you know. I mean, obviously my sons, and maybe I'm biased, but they're tight. I had more than one dad tell me that I need to have, and, and it looks like we're going to, that good. I need to have at least two because first and foremost, we need good people having kids. But yeah. on top of that, like you said, it they will have the longest relationship presumably of their lives with their siblings. You, uh, your, you and your wife, one day, unfortunately, you will pass and right. they will then still have each other to to fall back and rely on. And that's a huge thing. And I'm glad that dad said that because I didn't want to be the one to say it first. I really fear for kids who are only children because all they have is a screen and mom and dad, you know, are busy or whatever, but that kid doesn't have anyone around as a companion. And so I always tell, and again, I'm, I'm, you know, unfiltered and you know that already you read the freaking book, baby, but <laughs> I will tell people, even at work or what I see around, you know, they'll show me a young baby and I say, when's the next? And they go, oh, I'm, you know, oh, it's so much, you know, I'm crazy busy. Uh, we, I don't sleep. I, I never sleep, you know, and it's like, well, what the hell, man? I had three. OK. <laughs> and while we were doing it, my wife was head of a, a private school and I was press secretary on Capitol Hill for a senator. So don't tell me you're so damn busy that you can't have another. OK. And of course, you know, Corey, it goes over real well sometimes. Right. They they, yeah, they loved hearing they turn, that. They 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 just turn right away. But I'm saying it to you because I feel like I can say it. That other dad was exactly right. Have that kid as soon as you can, because then that two year old and that whatever it is, you know, three month old will be friends and companions and push each other for life. And if you're bonus round, baby, bonus round, have three. <laughs> and then I get a superpower. There, there so, you go. Yeah. So I like I'll, that. I'll, yeah. I'll have that to look forward to. 
All right, then. Well, uh, I guess that'll do us for today. I do appreciate you uh, taking this. Uh, well, I look at the clock and I see that you've taken extra time with us. So thanks so much oh, for man, that. I loved every minute of it, bud. Yeah, I, I, me as well. I, you know, I never know uh, what to expect with uh, guests that are essentially strangers. But I've been super lucky finding, you know, really giving really friendly dads. And you've you know, once again continued that trend. So thanks so much for that. You got and, it. And, uh, you know, good luck up there, uh, you know, in that. Uh, <laughs> that dangerous, dangerous, uh, swampy area. And yeah, babe. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I pity you sometimes. Oh, I, I did have this question on my mind. Um, before you go, as sure, far man. as, uh, networking, talking, you know, that's, that's, um, you know, that's your job essentially. Was that something yeah. you were good at before? Uh, did you get, you know, significantly better at it? Were you just, uh, always just a friendly guy? I'm, I'm very introverted. So I just have an interest in like, yeah. how it came about. I mean, I, I, the reason I became this way is because my mom was in politics and uh, early on, she just pushed me in front of adults all the time. And you had to, uh, like my kids, go, go, go get my $5 change there, buddy. I was constantly pushed in front of adults and kids and you just get a, a knack for it. I knew that if, and I knew in this world, that if you have that, you have that confidence and you have that kind of ease, it, it gets easier and easier. I mean, people don't grow up just going, Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm in love with the world and I can talk to anybody. It's what I tried to do with my kids. Like I said, with those examples was make them comfortable and confident anywhere they were. Look for the joke always, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, talk to a stranger if you're really in, in freaking dire need. Uh, so it just developed over the years. And, you know, also I've had, you know, I mean, yeah, everyone has ups and downs in life. I've had more than my share, but man, you know, it's a pretty good life, you know? And I think that's another thing about being a dad. Your dad should know this, the, the more comfortable and at ease and, you know, good natured your kid is, the better you are because you see that and you go, Hey man, things are pretty good. You know, and I'm so doing a good job. Right. I'm doing a good job. And I, I see this kid that makes me satisfied, you know. So I think that's just it's just part of it. The personality thing, you know, it's easier to get along in life this way. Cool. Right on. Good to hear. And it's something else that, you know, I would definitely keep and uh, and probably take with me when I go. Uh, so uh, before we get into something else, you're like super easy to talk to. And it's incredibly easy to go off on another tangent. So we're, we'll just go ahead and uh, and say, you know, thanks one more time. I hope you have a uh, wonderful evening and a Merry Christmas. And uh, from your two dads uh, and Jeff Nelligan, we'll check you later. Sure, I could have stayed in the past. Could have even been king. But in my own way, I am king. Hail to the king, baby.